my name is Craig Zerpolo, and welcome back to Why Science, a podcast about behavioral and emotional health research at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. This podcast is produced by Kobe, the College Behavioral and Emotional Health Institute, with support from the Alt Lab at VCU and the National Institute for Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Music for Why Science is provided by Butcher Brown. Streamer purchased their new EP, Virginia Noir, at butcherbrown.bandcamp.com. Why Science recently joined iTunes. Subscribe to us and give us a quick review to help us promote mental health research here in Richmond and around the world. Our guest today is Trisha Saunders, a health educator at the Wellness Resource Center at VCU with a background in public health, community counseling, and advocating for survivors of trauma and violence. She's here to talk about her work at VCU as well as a new promotional campaign aiming to change the conversation around anxiety and stress during finals. Trisha Saunders. I am currently a health educator at the Wellness Resource Center, and I was brought on board the team to really help out in a bunch of different areas to cover a lot of the different topics that we address at the well. So tell me about how you ended up working in health education. Did you come into college knowing that that was something that you wanted to study? No, no. Actually, uh, the way that I got here was pretty roundabout. I went into my undergraduate knowing that I wanted to be an anthropologist and do field work in the Amazon rainforest. <laughs> and I'd, I'd known that since the time I was 12 years old. I was going to finish my undergrad, join the Peace Corps, and then go back and get my PhD in anthropology. That did not happen. <laughs> I graduated undergrad with a degree in anthropology and English, but had some real world experience while I was there that sort of led me on a different path. I actually started working while I was still an undergrad. I was offered a position at a local nonprofit doing all of their uh, public education and outreach and a lot of their PR Uh, things like that. And so I actually started working part-time while I was there and really just loved that work. And so as soon as I graduated, my position turned to full-time and I just, I stayed there with the, the nonprofit. So what kind of work were you doing with that nonprofit? Was it similar like health education? It was is a nonprofit called Avalon, a center for women and children in Williamsburg. It was a nonprofit that it still is that works specifically with uh, women, children, and also other individuals who've experienced intimate partner violence, sexual violence, and stalking. Uh, it was a shelter a shelter program, so also dealt with issues related to homelessness. That's similar in some ways to the work you do here at VCU. Mm-hmm. What is it like working in outreach around topics like that that are stigmatized in a lot of ways and aren't necessarily the easiest to wrap your brain around? Like, how do I turn this into a Facebook post or how do I turn this into engaging content for people? Yeah, yeah. I think the the answer to that actually lies in uh, taking a public health approach. So being able to understand the types of health behaviors that we want people to have that would make our community 
healthy and thriving and successful. And so then we take all of those really positive behaviors and do what we can to promote those. So it never works to go and tell someone what they shouldn't do or how not to do something. But when you look at it from a standpoint of just providing information, resources, support, and that education piece, whatever it is that will help them make those changes to get to where they want to be. And sometimes, you know, you have to start with the really, really small things and then kind of work your way up. But looking at it on all levels, from individual change all the way up to societal change and the things that need to happen to get there. So when you were working at Avalon, what was the first project that you worked on there where all of that kind of clicked for you? Mm. You know, that's a that's a, a really great question. When I first started, so this was a while back, <laughs> when I first started in that field, it was right during a, a big transition period in the anti-violence movement. Before violence against women and gender violence specifically were seen from a feminist perspective uh, as being, you know, a women's issue grown out of the civil rights and feminist movement in the 1960s and kind of emerged from there. But right when I got into this work, so I started in, I guess it was about 2002, 2003, when I started, it things were just starting to shift to looking at intimate partner and sexual violence through the lens of public health from that framework. So things didn't really click because we were all just trying to figure it out at that point. So it was a lot of um, people trying to develop the best practices because they weren't out there yet. We were trying to take a model that had worked for other public health issues or topics and, and trying to apply them to this issue of, of violence to try to get people to, um, you know, to change behaviors all the way up to getting people to change policies. And, and so it was, I, I had a really unique opportunity to see that transition and to see how that movement evolved over time to get to where we are now, where it's really institutionalized on college campuses. In 2011, when uh, Vice President Joe Biden put out the, the white paper, it really changed how colleges and universities address issues like Title IX and uh, and programs and services that they had for sexual and intimate partner violence. When I was starting out, it wasn't it wasn't like that at all. Yeah, and I imagine that's complicated even further by the fact that you're talking in the early 2000s about the emergence of digital dissemination of those things, too. So, like, social media becoming a part of this and people accessing information, Mm -hmm. not as much physically, shifting everything Mm -hmm. onto the Internet and how that changes things and the way people interact with it. Yeah, well, and it also started to create additional issues like cyber stalking and things, uh, being able to surveil and monitor uh, someone's behavior with um, electronics and and things like that that they didn't always have before, you know, GPS trackers and and whatnot. So we really had to uh, do some research to to stay on that kind of cutting edge of technology. And I think we've gotten to the point now with that movement where we are being able to utilize those things for some really uh, positive outcomes. But at first, it was just trying to play catch up, you know, with very, very little resources to be able to do that. 
Yeah. So did you work anywhere between Avalon and VCU? Or yeah. how, how did you end up at VCU? Uh, yeah. Drumming on that path. Okay. So while I was at Avalon, I did a lot of work with the local university, which was the College of William & Mary in Williamsburg. And so was able to help kind of uh, see their policies change. And while I was working at William & Mary, I actually took the opportunity to uh, pursue a master's degree in education with a specialty in community counseling. And so after I graduated from that program, I decided that I wanted to uh, pursue some clinical options. So I actually ended up going back to Avalon as a counselor at Avalon and worked there um, specifically addressing issues related to trauma uh, and was there for a couple years as their counselor. And so as a result, ended up uh, seeing a lot of other sort of secondary issues to trauma and abuse. So I treated a lot of individuals who were struggling with stress and anxiety and uh, and other mental mental health issues, substance use, use issues and things like that. So I was able to sort of bring that expertise, looking at it from the clinical, from the treatment side, also with my background in education, to bring that to the work that I now do for VCU. Um, so I was with Avalon for about three years or so, and from there I actually went to work for the military as a contractor. I was one of the uh, first sexual assault response coordinators for the Mid-Atlantic region of the Navy and worked there for a little while, um, helping to change that institutional culture related to sexual violence and reporting within the military. So that was a really cool time uh, to be in the military because the Department of Defense was really uh, taking this issue seriously and starting to change a lot of their policy about how uh, our servicemen and women were treated uh, if they had experienced sexual assault in the Navy. So. Uh, was there for a little while, and while I was working there, William & Mary actually received funding to create a position for the first ever sexual assault educator on their campus. And so I went from the military to work for William & Mary, and I was at William & Mary for five years, which is where I ended up getting a lot of my exposure and knowledge to public health. Uh, as a health educator there, everything that we did was from a public health standpoint. So I was able to bring my feminist background, my nonprofit experience, my experience in the military all to that campus as we crafted some policy. I created a bunch of new programs at William & Mary to address those issues. And then from there also ended up branching out to do health education related to sexual health and mental health, uh, substance use issues, things like that um, on campus as well. That's awesome. So you've mentioned a few times public health as an approach. Can you explain for people who don't know exactly what that means, what public health is as a framework of approaching these topics? Yeah, yeah. And so as someone who actually doesn't have a degree in public health, um, I can kind of give you the quick version. It's looking at uh, looking at health is not just an individual issue, but looking at it from a community and a society perspective and looking at all of those those topics and issues that are either emergent or um, 
are things that we know impact quality of life for people. And it's looking at it through the lens of different behavior change theories, how to get people uh, to to change, basically. So, you know, something from like wearing a seatbelt or wearing a helmet. We've seen sort of the evolution of, of those movements um, in public health. But yeah, it's, it's really just helping people to to change their behavior and, and using theory, using science to, to be able to do that because we all know change is so hard. I mean, even changing the littlest habit can be intimidating, can be really scary. And so uh, it's just giving people the information and access and resources that they need to, to make those small changes that will make their life better, that will increase health outcomes, that will just increase overall well-being for people. Absolutely. And so looking at VCU where you are right now, what are the public health issues that you all are trying to tackle at the well? We have a lot of different topic areas that we address, but primarily, and this is from what our research and our experience in working with the students has told us. The, the main issues that students deal with are related to alcohol and drugs. So we have uh, someone on staff who, uh, who addresses those issues. We also um, have a program that addresses providing support for students who are in recovery from addiction. So we also address issues related to sexual and intimate partner violence and stalking by providing advocacy services and education in those areas. We provide nutrition, education, information on eating, uh, also stress and anxiety, and some of the general mental health and wellness topics. We know from some of our, our data that students report stress and anxiety as being the number one and number two issues that impact their academic success here at VCU. So a lot of what we do focuses on uh, stress management and mindfulness and doing those things that will help them reduce stress and anxiety, but also promote the the well-being and the relaxation and some of those other positive things that we want to promote. And so looking at stress and anxiety, obviously those are big topics right now because we're about to get into finals week. I know that you all have recently launched a campaign called Mindful Finals Through the Well. Could you tell me about what that is? Sure. So hashtag Mindful Finals is a social media campaign that we're launching in collaboration with VCU's social media. And so we're launching it all through VCU's main Instagram and Twitter account where we're asking students, faculty, and staff to participate by uploading pictures of themselves practicing mindfulness in some way. The idea is that we're trying to change the conversation from one of perpetual stress and difficulty during finals to one of taking intentional, meaningful, mindful moments to de-stress and to relax and unwind. For me, my experience with finals as an undergraduate, it was always like the look to your left, look to your right. If I'm not working as hard as those people, then I'm not going to do as well. So right. like the, you know, the competitive, like putting more pressure on yourself in that way. So I could see where just trying to change that 
to a conversation around like how are we all getting through this and supporting ourselves and supporting each other would be a huge difference for someone like me. And I imagine there's a lot of other people out there who think that way as well. Yeah, well, we hope so. And and this was actually a campaign that was sort of generated and conceived by our students. All of what we do, whether it's creating our stall seat journals or launching a new educational effort or editing our website, all of it is done through input and feedback from our students. We know that in order to reach our target audience, we really have to tap into what is happening, you know, the the spaces that they're using to communicate, the mediums that they're using to communicate. So this was this was a pro, uh, campaign that was uh, developed by them and and it was because of exactly what you said because they felt like during finals, one of the the students actually used the term struggle bus mentality that everyone sort of competed to see who was the most stressed or who had the most to do and all that did was just ramp up the the feeling of pressure or anxiety but a lot of the students on our what we would call our social norms think tank which is kind of our student advisory board they said you know I I don't actually feel a lot of stress during finals. I kind of realized that by this time in the semester, I've done the work, so so I got it. You know, I have it figured out. And the only reason I feel stressed is because everyone else does. And that really goes along with uh, our approaches and looking at social norms theory and and how that works within a population. So a lot of people are going to be drawn to those things that are kind of in your face as opposed to seeing what the actual majority of students feel. That majority is often silent and underrepresented when it comes to our developing perceptions about what life is really like on campus. So we're just trying to kind of change that a little bit and shift the script by uh, having students be able to see pictures of other people practicing mindfulness or just relaxing so that they know, hey, it's okay to do this. Everyone else is doing it. So I'm going to jump on board and be part of that that conversation. Yeah, totally. So how did you settle on mindfulness as the approach? Obviously, there are many different ways that you can approach uh, stress and anxiety. So how did mindfulness become the route that you chose? Yeah, well, Linda Hancock, who's the director of the Wellness Resource Center, and I keep joking that we want to start a mindfulness revolution. We know that the that the science behind it shows that mindfulness has been proven to not only increase well-being, but also do things to reduce stress and anxiety. So just from a pure scientific approach, mindfulness is a great way to, uh, to get students to be less stressed and to be less anxious on a regular basis. And it was a great way for us to uh, just to provide a little bit of education on that and, and kind of put that out there into, especially in the social media world, to get people to understand a little more about it. And so what would mindfulness look like when you're talking about uh, decreasing stress and anxiety around finals? A lot of times we get so caught up in what we have to do and our our day-to-day sort of task list 
And add on top of that, the narratives that we constantly have going in our head of, is this good enough? What else do I have to do? Really just constantly evaluating everything that you're doing. So when it gets to to be something like finals, even just thinking about exams can uh, can be difficult for students. And so a mindfulness approach really encourages people to kind of hit pause on those uh, more narrative and kind of executive functions in our brain to kind of hit hit pause, take a moment to come back to your body. I think that when we become stressed and anxious, our brains kick into overdrive, so do our bodies. We kind of ramp up to meet danger, to meet whatever challenge, but a lot of times that's something that's created in our brain, or the challenge isn't always right in front of us. And so you're dealing with all those excess chemicals and and that uh, that tension in your body with no way to release it and no way to really understand where it's coming from. So mindfulness encourages people to just stop. Take a minute take a breath. You know, we forget to breathe a lot. So to really just to step back and breathe, come back to your body, notice what's happening in your body. Because chances are you'll notice that you're, you know, you're holding tension somewhere or you're really overexcited or your heart rate is really fast. So just coming sort of back to that awareness of the present moment instead of thinking about what's next on your to-do list or what happened yesterday, what's happening right here, right now, and just sitting with it. Just learning how to be, be present. And it doesn't take much. Anyone can practice mindfulness anytime. I think the difficulty has been that when people hear something like that or they hear meditation, they find it to be really inaccessible. They think that you have to be trained to, to practice something like that. But, I mean, we all breathe. It's just taking time to focus on that and to, to recognize that a lot of times we live outside of our bodies. We don't really pay attention to the way that our bodies affect our brain and our brains affect our bodies. And so it's really just learning to pay more attention. And so if people are looking to participate in the campaign, what are some ways that they could do that? Maybe taking a minute as they're walking to their next class or, or to their next exam, stopping and looking around them and noticing, like for example, today, it's 70 degrees outside and it's the end of November. So just stopping to take a moment and, and feeling that and recognizing what does that warmth feel like on my skin or, you know, what is, what is it looking like today outside? What does that beautiful sunset look like? And how am I feeling right now? Am I okay? Am I holding tension anywhere? So again, it's just, we, we use the words a lot, stop, breathe, and be. So all anyone needs to do is really just do that. Just stop for a second, take a few really deep cleansing breaths. You know, it doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong way to breathe. You know, just do it. And then, and then just be for a minute. Sit with whatever comes. There's no judgment. There's no, nothing that you have to do to change it, but just to sit with it, to 
develop that awareness of what it's like to be in that moment. And so you talked about how you and Linda want to start a mindfulness revolution. So looking towards the future, what would be your ideal kind of culture around mindfulness for VCU? Like what would you want to see from the student populace five or 10 years down the line? Yeah, I think mindfulness would be integrated into every class. At the beginning of every class, instructors, professors would just take a moment to to sit with students and to have that mindful moment at the beginning of each class. That would become the default script in everyone's head, not, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed, or oh my gosh, there's so much going on, but have you meditated today, or what have you done today to be mindful or to be present and that would be the question that, that people would ask when someone, you know, starts to feel that stress or anxiety. Okay, what can I do? I have this whole toolkit now that is kind of second nature. I just need to pull one of those tools out and I can use it to come back to myself. And and so what we would see long term is that rates of stress and anxiety would would go down, that you wouldn't see as many students needing to present to counseling services or present to student health with issues related to stress and anxiety because those things would be, for some, would be more manageable through a mindful, a daily mindfulness practice. Thanks to Trisha Saunders for joining us, and thank you for listening. Join us on December 15th for a new episode of Why Science with Daniela Tudor, an entrepreneur and app developer who works with members of the recovery community to help reduce relapse. Until then, remember to stop, breathe, and be, and take care. <laughs>